Well, amen, glory to God, praise the Lord. Can I get some more? Welcome once again to another episode of Right All Week. I am your host. My name is Dave. Thanks for watching today. If you would like to connect with us on all of the usual social media places, the username is at Right All Week. If you'd like to send us an email, you can do that. The address rightallweek at gmail.com. If you're listening on the audios, please do uh, us a favor if you would. Give us a positive review if you can. Share that with others. And if you're on the YouTube, well then of course we also want some likes. We want some subscribes. Uh, please ring those bells so you can get those notifications when we put new content. And of course, please, everybody do share. It's good for us. It's good for you. It's good for your friends. It's good for the country. And that's what we all want, isn't it? So yes, please do that as well. So talking today, as we hit this, uh, the subject that I would like to address with you all, thanks. It's going to be the church and what's happening over the course of this last weekend. Announcement that came out Friday and some uh, popular conversations online and even some stuff that just came out to light. Maybe some of you haven't even heard about it because it's happening like right now today. So let's start with what happened coming into the weekend. There was another Supreme Court decision that was made and there was a really good dissent from uh, Gorsuch that was printed. It was a one little paragraph, one liner basically saying, yeah, this opinion doesn't work because, and then cites the constitutional stuff. And I wanted to bring this one up specifically, if you aren't aware, then in Nevada, they've had lots of ongoing restrictions. A lot of, you know, because we're still combating the most dangerous disease since the Black Death, known as COVID-19, with a survival rate of 99.99996 for children, 99.9998 for adults. And us, of course, you've got other things that need to worry about. But for most of us, those are the survival rates. And uh, because we were restricted in lots of places, so many things, and we haven't lifted many of these things, one thing has been pretty consistent almost nationwide. One of the things that is restricted is houses of worship. Churches specifically, anywhere you'd like to go so that you can meet for the purpose of, you know, iron sharpening iron, community and Christian fellowship, praising the Lord together and maybe learning something that you didn't know before. You know, somebody opens up the old revelation to you. Yeah, that stuff's really off limits right now. They don't want that in many places or they're at least trying to restrict it as much as they can, saying things like uh, you can only have 50 people total in a building. Doesn't matter that you can actually seat thousands in some of these churches, right? Or you have to meet outside. Doesn't matter that places like California and Florida where I live, it's like 90 plus outside. So yeah, let's uh, obviously trying to do things that we can to, to get around that while they're trying to impose that on us because let's also look at the rest of the world. Does it even make any sense? It really doesn't make any sense because at the same time they're saying, no, you can't go to church and if you do, you definitely better not sing any songs while you're there. Okay, so it's a house of worship. You just can't worship in that house. All right, that, while they're saying those rules, they're also saying, please gather in mass in thousands together so that we can fight against the injustice of these institutionalized racism that still exists in this country. <clears throat> and if you want to know my opinions about that, check some other videos. But that's the fight that they're saying. We're going after racism and we're gathering the protests and we're fighting against this unjust nation that we live in because mostly, mostly because Orange Man Bad hasn't been voted out yet this coming November. Meanwhile, 
those things are okay and the church is not okay. It doesn't matter if you even have a little church, if your little church isn't capable of doing the social distancing requirements, so then your little church is shut down. Don't even go, you're not allowed to be there. And of course, everybody's message in the, in the rest of the world, we're suffering the consequence right now, be the fact that if you've been paying attention to the, the what they call the polls in this, inside the church, looking at the generations and how the message in the church has been passed down and how it's really not that important as comparatively to what it was to previous generations. Attendance keeps getting drop, dropping lower and lower. Frequency keeps dropping lower and lower. And the numbers keep dropping lower and lower. And the number, you know, the from family to generation to generation to generation, it's keeping this trends. All of these trends are still going. And here we are now living in a, a society that doesn't actually value them very much. And a lot of the people that we've put into power actually really don't want these things. And that's what's happening. And the case that I'm referring to specifically in Nevada, there was a church there that said, hey, you have let everything else go, right? We've got the casinos and we've got these clubs and you've got all sorts of other institutions where people are allowed to gather with or without social distancing, with or without masks, with or without number limits, but you've got all these other places open and you're celebrating the, the quote-unquote peaceful protests out there in the streets. But one thing you haven't done is you haven't said that there's uh, any new permissions for the church. The church is still living under the same restrictions. The church is considered in most places, and this is another side effect of what I mentioned a minute ago about how the value hasn't been handed down from generation to generation. It's pretty much considered a non-essential. So when they get to the Supreme Court and there's a church there that says we would like to have these things, this injunction lifted off of us so that we can actually have church like a normal church because you know what, it's been five months and we're ready to go. And the Supreme Court decided, the, so the majority decision was no, actually you can't do that. We're not going to lift it. You're stuck under the jurisdiction or so-called jurisdiction of your governor. You're stuck with the mandates. You still have to follow those rules. And this right here presents us with an excellent opportunity to call shenanigans, if we could use the polite word here. Because many times in our nation, especially today, we've drifted so far from the original ways that in which we're supposed to be deciding these cases. It's supposed to be, is it constitutional? Is it not constitutional? Is that the law or is that not the law? The Constitution, of course, being the highest law in the land. But we've drifted from that. And we started using something called precedent and stare decisis. And they reference that sometimes, even though, and this, we had a real interesting case recently because a lot of Supreme Court decisions were announced in June, and there were some times where they're like, well, actually, technically, when we got this case in here before the repeal or the appeal, we looked at this and we said, oh, well, actually, that's, that's not constitutional for whatever reason, but we have to honor this decision because of whatever the reason is, you know, just referencing generically here, but you can find cases that meet this description. Acknowledging the fact that we are talking about something that's unconstitutional, but, in big giant air quotes, but, and then here comes your excuses and your reasoning and the fact that it gets justified and then it becomes your new SCOTUS opinion. And then the next time we get back in there for our appeal, then, oh, well, it doesn't matter, constitution, unconstitutional, well, now we have to cite sorry decisis and now we have to cite precedent and now we have to let this thing go because we've already got a previous opinion and now we're gonna base today's opinion on that opinion and maybe somebody will write a dissenting opinion. 
but it's all bogus. It's all lies because they use it when they want to use it. They don't use it when they don't want to use it. And they didn't use it this time when the, when the church got in there and said, actually, we think that this is wrong. We don't think that he had, our governor has his authority. We are definitely being singled out. We aren't being treated like everybody else. And we would like to be able to decide for ourselves how we're going to handle this from now on. And the Supreme Court says, no, absolutely not. You can't. We're sorry or, or not sorry, depending on which judge you're talking to. And basically said, you're you're stuck with it overlooking the fact that actually not only is it not constitutional for one because I don't know if you've read it but there are these Bill of Rights and you start with number one and you've got the establishment clause and you've got the religious freedom clause so we don't want to let's just ignore that for a second and say yeah actually you do have precedent they're forgetting the fact that they had a case back in 1947 where the Supreme Court did rule in favor of the churches, did rule in favor of religious freedom, and specifically said, neither a state nor the federal government can set up a church, and neither can force nor influence a person to go or to remain away from church against his will. That is the Supreme Court's official decision from 1947. And oh, are we referencing stare decisis and precedent today? No, we're not. We didn't even go there. And of course, it's not going with the constitutional. We're just basically saying the church isn't important and we've got to fight against the black death. So you have to do whatever your governor says. Well, thank goodness some people are actually finally deciding that enough is enough. And I'm so glad that people are standing up and going against this. We've got some place called... Um, rock something, a rock church of some kind, uh, excuse me, my brain didn't really remember it just now, but I'll, I'll put a link in the video. Uh, the church in California wrote an excellent article announcing what they're going to do about this, how they're not going to tolerate it any longer, basically saying that uh, it is a misrepresentation of the church to treat it this way, and they're going after Governor Gavin Newsom out there, which is fantastic, but they're not the only ones, because Grace Church, right, you know, the, one of the big names, if you're familiar with John MacArthur, he made a statement saying, yeah, actually, we're not going along with this any longer either, again, citing the precedent that, not the precedent that I just mentioned, but the historical precedent in this nation, the idea that these two things are distinct, the governing bodies and the church bodies, and they're not supposed to be interfering with each other. And everybody on the other side, your leftists, your progressives, your statists, your atheists, you know, they're real quick to reference the quote-unquote wall of separation from Jefferson's Danbury Baptist letter, but they're not really quick to reference it at times like these, right? We don't want that wall there when it might actually give the church permission to do something that the rest of us don't want. But we definitely want that wall there when we're trying to make sure that the church has no influence on culture. See, so they only want the wall when they want the wall and they only want the precedent when they want the precedent, but they're totally okay with ignoring those rules when it works in their favor. And that's what we're seeing today. So I'm very grateful to see churches standing up and saying, enough is enough. We're not gonna take it anymore. And I wanna point out, before anybody tries to stand up there and say, well, what about the church's responsibilities or Christians' responsibilities to honor their leadership? Well, I got a few points that I want to give to you. The first one being in this nation, remember, we are an upside down country and we were established on popular sovereignty. So if you go to the top of the authority on all the total polls when you get in this nation, actually you find the people who are the governed by the people, for the people. Remember that from the first constitution, the contract of the people. Oh, and the consent of the governed is where the government derives its power. Yeah, that being from our first official document as a nation in the independent, the Declaration of Independence. So it's a rich history in this nation saying who's the main person in charge? Where do the authorities, the governing authorities, where do they get their authority from? They get it from the people, from us, from the populace, 
why it's called popular sovereignty. We the people rule. So that's one point that we need to keep in mind. And so if they're governing against the will of the people, they're breaking their oath in the office, they're violating the initial contracts of this nation, and that's the reason why they are in trouble, not us. But also let's talk about biblically, the biblical position. Why is this important? All right, because we have in history, in our own in church history specifically, but I'm going all the way back to the Bible, and you look at how did they handle it back then when they saw some things like these. Paul is a really good example because, you know, the same guy who said, do everything that you can to be at peace with everybody, is also the same guy who used the resources he had available to him as a citizen to also combat some of the ways in which they were coming against his ministry. So they, he's done it multiple times, but ultimately he even used the ability to say, actually, um, because I'm a citizen, I'm entitled to certain things, which even includes an appeal to the highest authority in the land, which is how he ends up in Rome in the first place before he dies. So him using the resources and saying that we're going to use this system as a means to educate this system in the ways in which it is wrong and helping them to understand that you're in place, the reason you're here, you're supposed to be governing according to what God said. You're not supposed to be governing against God's laws. And when you do that, you're in violation of your position. And that means that we got to change some things. We got to do things differently. So he was using his resources as a citizen to help to bring that to light, which is why his story is so awesome that he actually gets to speak to really high powered, high station individuals and try to influence them before he's killed. But that's not the only place, because we've also got Acts, when Peter says in, in Acts 5, that we, are, we must obey God rather than men, because he understood. And this is something that's true about what we understand. Christians uniquely respect this, probably better than any other faith system, because men are fallible. We're fallen. We're depraved. Until we're completely, totally renewed and sanctified by Jesus, we're actually going to be doing things. That we make mistakes. We do things that are wrong. We hurt ourselves. Sometimes we try to fight for more and more power, and which we really shouldn't be entitled to, which is what we see in this nation today. So it's a biblical precedent also, and not just a national precedent. And it's rich in Christian history, this idea that Quote, to reference another quote, rebellion against ty uh, tyrants is obedience to God. And there are a lot of people in our Christian history, people who we look back and say, that is a hero of the faith. And we would not have these heroes of the faith if they did not believe this, if they did not act on this. If people like Wycliffe, like Huss, like Calvin, like Luther, big, big names that people look back to and they respect them and we rely on the fruits of their ministry for our success today, unfortunately, that's another thing that gets overlooked. History in general, but church history just right and along in there, often not taught, not understood. And we don't realize how these guys actually were a threat to the established authority system in that day, which is why most of the guys whose names I just mentioned, they didn't die natural deaths. So it's, <clears throat> it's a part of our heritage as Christians. It's also a part of our heritage as a Christian nation. And we're in a position in a day right now where they're actually violating all of this. The idea from the original establishing of this nation, looking into the, into the Gospels and looking into the Old Testament and saying, hey, how did it work? What was the best arrangement? Because they're looking at history and they're trying to establish one that benefits us here in this nation and realizing actually in the Old Testament, the kingdom, the people who are a part of the, the rule, the king and his, uh, his folks, they were not allowed to interfere with the, test, the tabernacle or with the priesthood and the temple. And likewise, the people who were in the temple, the priests, they weren't allowed to interfere with the king and all of you know, the things that were happening there. So it's, 
what they looked at then is how can we take that, this idea that we now refer to as separation of church and state, and bring it into a representative and to a republic in uh, the modern age back then, which of course they established a great one. But you know what? They also gave us a warning because when they asked, well, what kind of government did you work out? And they said a republic, if you can keep it, because they understood, again, the idea that men are not naturally good. Men are prone to do things that are selfish and they're prone to want power. They're prone to want authority and they're prone to want to do things to other people that they shouldn't do to them for their own personal selfish gains, for their own personal agendas. And that's what we see today. We see people going against the establishing of this nation, going against Christian heritage, going against biblical doctrine because quite frankly, they don't agree with it. They don't believe in it. Their eyes haven't been opened. They don't have understanding. They don't have wisdom. And they're completely, totally given to the spirit of this age, the God of this age, little g God of this age. And they agree more with sin and darkness and rebellion than they do with any of these things, which is why they do it, which is the reason I want to give you guys a call to action today. Say two things. First of all, pray for the people who are lost, who are in power and who are not using it properly. And when they are governing against the real, the rule of the people and against the will of God, they are earning judgment on themselves. So it's good for us to pray for them that their eyes would be opened, that they would repent, and that they would be rescued from whatever, whatever possible punishments or wraths that they might be you know, throwing onto themselves while they're doing these things. So we do pray for them. Plus, it's also a benefit to the people that are under their governance when their ruler, governor, whatever position that they're sitting in, when that person honors the Lord with their decisions, it's good for everybody. So we pray for them. But also my call to action for people today, because there are still a lot of cities and there are still a lot of churches that are closed in cities who are restricting them and say, it's time for us to get our voice out there. It's time for, you know, call your pastors, call your friends, talk to churches and encourage them. Say, hey, Mr. John MacArthur, the, one of the biggest voices we have alive today, considering his history, and say, he has stood up. Let's back this man. Let's show that we actually do have some unity in this body, that we actually do agree with this message, that we actually think church is essential. We think fellowship and community and ministry and worship of the Lord and together, that all of these things actually are important, they're essential, and they're worth us fighting for. Maybe not, you know, hopefully not fighting like they're fighting with the riots on the streets, but in the ways in which we can put pressure on people and say, let's go do what we're called to do. Let's be obedient. Let's obey. And like it says in Hebrews, you're not supposed to forget, forsake the gathering and the assembly. Let's do what Jesus says. It says where two or three are gathered or more, hey, he's there with us. So let's go ahead and bring these things together because we believe in it, because we value it. And let's show them how much it means to us, and, by, and we're not just going to sit around and just take whatever anymore because it's too important. We just need to understand it's too important. Unless we want to continue this trend that I referenced earlier about how all the polls say it's less and less important, the faith, the religion, the belief in Jesus, the attendance of church, all those things being less and less important with each generation. If we don't want that to continue with us, it's now time for us to stand up and go out there and point, make it clear to everyone how important this is what value it has, and the fact that we're not giving it up because it is essential. All right, thank you very much for sticking around. I appreciate you finishing the video or the audio, whichever one you're at. And I hope that you will come back and you'll be a part of this some of these future discussions. You'll share this one and you'll share others. Again, this is Right All Week, and I am Dave, and this is where we talk about what's right, how it's right, and why it matters.